as you all know, we're in the midst of a sermon series right now called Bold and Untold, looking at lesser-known characters in Scripture that yet have really important things to teach us about the life of faith, uh, about what it means to, uh, to lead. Um, and so I'm really grateful this morning to have um, Nate, uh, one of our own, uh, to come and preach. I've been a part uh, of a, uh, a leadership institute that's uh, going to last the whole year, and I had uh, different um, week sessions of it, and I had one this past week, and it is a great gift uh, to be able to, to have someone else uh, preach so that I could fully focus on that. So I'm so grateful uh, and look forward to what Nate is going to share with us this morning. So come on up, brother. Check one, two. We good? All right, good deal. Uh, so I, I am Nate. Uh, you guys might have, I, I've sang in the band a few times. Uh, we've been coming since February, so I'm just thankful that uh, I get a chance to, to get up here and do this for you guys. Um, right away, I need like a little bit of participation. What is your favorite movie genre? Like the, the genre of movies that you just... Like, can't get enough of. Comedy, fantasy, Hallmark movies. Okay, we got Hallmark over here. That's a channel and a genre, just a whole, the whole, whole deal. Anybody else? Spider-Man. There's enough Spider-Man movies that it could be a genre. Bank heist, horror, yeah. This is a question that I could talk about for a long time because I absolutely love movies. It uh, doesn't matter uh, what kind or genre, if they're good or bad, uh, if they're in a theater, if they're in, uh, in my own house, if they are on that tiny in-flight TV on the back of somebody else's headrest on an airplane. Um, I have even been known to not pay for those movies myself and just watch somebody else's tiny TV headrest thing. With no sound, I'll just watch the movie. Um, can anybody think of what genre of movie has completely dominated the box office over the past 14 to 20 years? Superhero movies, right? Superhero movies. Now, who doesn't love a good superhero movie? And I'll admit, they're getting out there a little bit with their aliens and different dimensions and stuff like that. But they are just good stories. And I got hooked to those pretty on, uh, pretty early on. The first Spider-Man movie came out in 2002. And uh, I was 14 years old when that came out. And I was instantly hooked. It was something that we had never seen before. I mean, we had like the the hokey, you know, Bat uh, Michael Keaton Batman movies that everybody swears are, like, amazing. Um, but Spider-Man was the first, and I just jumped right in. This My freshman in high school self, I was at the movies seeing those things. I started collecting things. I had never been a collector of things before. Uh, I had comic books. I had this, for some reason, I had this action figure that I never took, 32 points of articulation that I never took out of the box, and actually did anything with. I had this whole shelf in my room that had world encyclopedias on it that my aunt stored in my room, and I, I threw those in the closet, and this was my Spider-Man shelf. I had 
comic books, action figures, um, Pez dispensers. I'm pretty sure I even had a Spider-Man cereal bowl that I got at like a garage sale, like a local garage sale that I just put up there, and I never dared eat cereal out of this bowl. Um, I was 100% certain that this stuff was going to make me rich when I was later or later in life, and I couldn't even tell you where any of that stuff is. Uh, and recently, I kind of got back into Spider-Man a little bit. Last year, there was a movie that came out in December that kind of was a culmination of 20 years of Spider-Man movies that was uh, crazy awesome. There was a video game released a couple years ago that was really big, and then it got re-released on computer, and I've been playing it. And I've just really enjoyed digging back into the kind of story of Spider-Man and, and what he kind of represents. Uh, so so what's, what's with all the superhero talk? Why, why are people so obsessed with it? What's the big deal with Spider-Man? Why have the movies of the last 15 to 20 years that have made all the most money and made the most noise based, been based around superheroes? Are they great stories? Sure. Uh, uh, are, are the movies gigantic spectacles uh, with crazy cool special effects uh, that kind of help us escape the monotony of kind of our everyday lives? Absolutely. But I also think that we look for ways to relate in all forms of media. And whether that's reading a work of fiction, a novel, comic book, or watching the latest Spider-Man movie, we look for ways that these extraordinary characters uh, can relate to us normal people. And what's kind of cool is that you sometimes, maybe with these superhero movies, you can watch some of these epic movies about aliens and people bitten by radioactive spiders and different dimensions, and you can see little nuggets of truth uh, pop up in these. And sometimes it's little nuggets of biblical truth. Uh, we've been on the journey the last few weeks of looking at people who we would consider their stories to be bold and untold. Uh, not that these people, not that people have never heard of these uh, figures in the Bible, uh, but they're not typical stories that you would hear on a regular basis. They're, they're not stories that uh, maybe are preached on very often. Uh, and so far, we've heard about some really cool people. We've heard about uh, Shifra and Pua and Deborah. And today, we are going to look at the book of Amos. Has anybody ever really dove deep into the book of Amos before? Kind of what I expected. And I, I've gone through six years of Bible school, and I can tell you that other than just reading the book of Amos and knowing what's in there, I haven't really done, done, dove deep into the book of Amos before. Uh, Amos is the third major prophet uh, in the Old Testament, and the book itself is thought to have been written about 750 B.C., and that would put us around a similar time as a lot of the, or a few of the other more well-known prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, people like Isaiah, people like uh, Jonah, the, the guy in the whale, um, people like Hosea. Now, it's thought that these figures all lived in the same kind of time period, were all alive kind of around the same time, but they didn't know really of each other at all. They were, uh, each of them had were chosen by God to do something very specific. They were chosen to deliver a message. And Amos was no different. About uh, 200 years or so before Amos uh, was around, uh, the nation of Israel uh, 
had a king. His name was Solomon. He's a very, very famous king. And uh, when he died, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. It was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom remained Israel. It still held that name. And then the southern kingdom uh, was called Judah, and it was a completely different kingdom, completely different uh, king, government, everything. And Amos himself was from this southern kingdom of Judah. And this whole book is written as a series of visions and messages given to Amos from God for a few different groups of people uh, that were alive at that time. And as I read through this, preparing for this weekend, uh, one of the first things that jumped out to me uh, when I dove into this book of Amos is the fact that pretty much every nation in the region, every city that's kind of around this whole uh, area, is doing a really poor job in the eyes of God. Uh, We have uh, Amos, who's been given this message by God, and the first thing that he says is, yeah, you guys aren't really crushing it. Like, you could be doing better. And then he he gives this long laundry list of pretty much every country around and what they're doing. He mentions Damascus for senseless war. He mentions Gaza for deporting whole towns and then selling people into slavery. He mentions Tyre for deporting people and then breaking treaties they had with family members. Uh, He mentions Edom and Ammon and Moab. And he even receives word about his own home of Judah and how that they've rejected this revelation from God completely and refused uh, to keep God's commands. And he calls out Judah for swallowing the same kinds of lies and stuff that got their ancestors onto dead-end roads. That's exactly what he says here. And uh, so then Amos turns his eyes towards Israel, and that's kind of where he lands the rest of the book, is his, his message from God was really to preach to the people of Israel, which is something that is somewhat unique, is that he wasn't preaching to people that were his own people. He was, he was given, the, given the job to go elsewhere, to go somewhere else that he's never been before and preach to those people. Uh, so, and this is where we're going to jump into some of the text today, and we're going to read from chapter 2, and this is from the message translation, so I think they should have it up here. Uh, this was God's message. Because of the three great sins of Israel, make that four, I'm not putting up with them any longer. They buy and sell upstanding people. People for them are only things, ways of making money. They'd sell a poor man for a pair of shoes. They'd sell their own grandmother. They grind the penniless into the dirt and shove the luckless into the ditch. Everyone and his brother sleeps with the sacred whore, a sacrilege against my holy name. Stuff they've extorted from the poor uh, is piled up in a shrine of their God. While they sit around drinking wine, they've conned from their victims. So, so far, this is not the prettiest of picture, and it seems like Amos is going pretty hard at the nation of Israel. Uh, But then there's a shift in how God is speaking to them uh, in just the very next line. He says, in contrast, I was always on your side. I destroyed the Amorites who confronted you, Amorites with a statue of great cedars, tough as thick oaks. I destroyed them from the top, branches down. I destroyed them from the roots up. And yes, I'm the one who delivered you from Egypt, led you safely through the wilderness for 40 years, 
and then handed you the country of the Amorites like a piece of cake on a platter. I raised up some of your young men to be prophets, set aside your best youth for training in holiness. Isn't that so, Israel? Amos, through this message that God had given him, is trying to remind uh, the people of Israel of something really important, that they are a chosen people of God. And he lists out a bunch of the ways that over the years uh, that God has showed up for them in the past. You know, wasn't it me who rescued you from slavery? Wasn't it me who saved you from the people who were trying to harm you? Uh, Wasn't it me who kept you alive in the wilderness all those years? Wasn't that me who provided land for you when you needed it? Amos is trying to help them remember that the Israelites are a people that are set apart. They're supposed to be following this one true God, Yahweh, uh, and he's trying to remind them that they are a privileged people, that God is on their side and always has been, even in the darkest times of their history. Uh, I always knew that I wanted to be a dad. I didn't really have a positive uh, male role model growing up until I was about 17, Um, I didn't really know what a good dad looked like uh, until I met my wife's father, Tim, uh, who's sitting right there. But I knew that I wanted to be a good dad. Um, I knew from my own experience uh, the kinds of stuff that I didn't want to do, the kinds of stuff that I... Hello. Okay. Uh, I knew the stuff that I, I did want to do. I wanted to take him to movies and do cool and fun stuff like that. Uh, maybe teach him to play sports or show him how to play guitar, which we've done. Um, possibly sharing some of my, th- my favorite things with them. And luckily for me, both of my children really enjoy superhero movies and video games. So, like, me and my kids are vibing. Uh, praise God. Uh, you know, the fun dad stuff. Uh, and now I'm a father to two beautiful girls, and they're amazing, and it's an absolute privilege to be their father. But that privilege of being their dad comes with a whole bunch of responsibility. Uh, now, I've, I've talked to a bunch of people uh, who've had kids, uh, and it seems that there's a universal, I don't know, kind of feeling... Uh, I mean, being in the hospital is like, like you can preach a whole sermon on that. But then that moment when you take your child home for the first time, there is like this sudden like, oh, man. Like I remember driving home from the hospital, and I drove like five miles an hour. I had this newborn baby in the back of my car, and I'm just like, they just let me walk out with a human, like a whole baby, and they didn't ask me anything. Like, they don't know anything about me. Um, and that feeling is we're kind of coming to grips with this newfound responsibility. We are responsible for a human life. 
And I think that idea of coming to terms with responsibility is kind of what Amos is getting at in these first couple chapters. He's showing them that, yes, they've done an awful job so far. And it seems like that's the never-ending story of the kingdom of Israel, uh, is that they, they mess up, and then God says, no, we'll, we'll, we'll help fix it. Oh, and they mess up, and then he says, no, we'll help fix it. But he's showing them that they've done wrong and reminding them that they are a chosen people of God and trying to get them to understand that fact because they are a chosen people of God, that it means something and that there's this responsibility that comes with that. With great privilege or power, if you've been bitten by a radioactive spider, comes great responsibility. Here, Parker's Uncle Ben and Amos were kind of saying a lot of the same things here. Amos takes it a step further, though. He doesn't just end with telling the nation of Israel about this responsibility. He goes a step further and digs deeper. In chapter 5, he says this. He says, Woe to you who turn justice to vinegar and stomp righteousness into the mud. Do you realize where you are? You're in a cosmos star-flung with constellations by God, a world God makes up each morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God, God revealed, does all this. And he can destroy it as easily as he makes it. He can turn his, this vast wonder into total waste. People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is never popular. But here it is, bluntly spoken, because you run roughshod over the poor and take bread right out of their mouths. You're never going to move into luxur the luxury homes you've built. You're never going to drink the wine from the expensive vineyards that you've planted. I know price, uh, precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins, appalling. You bully right-living people, taking bribes, right and left, kicking the door when they're down. Justice is a lost cause. Evil is epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands. Protest, rebuke. Protest and rebuke are useless, a waste of breath. And then he, he makes another change. Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of angel armies, being your best friend. Well, live like it, and maybe it'll happen. Hate evil and love good, and then work it out in the public square. Maybe the God of angel armies will notice your remnant and be gracious. Again, he starts this section with reminding them who just God is. This is the God that sets them apart. This is... Uh, the God of their ancestors, the God of the cosmos, the God of creation, this God that can uh, just as easily destroy the world because he's the one who created it. And then he jumps into the section that really speaks to me, and he starts to talk about how people do not like the kinds of things that he's been saying. And I don't know about you, but um, I don't take criticism the best sometimes. Uh, I've been known to get pretty defensive uh, and, and really try to justify my actions. And Amos is talking to the people of Israel. Sure, that's, that's obvious here. But I think that he's also talking to the people in leadership of this country. Uh, remember that Amos is from Judah, speaking out about the things that the people and those in leadership have been and are doing. Uh, the people in charge of Israel weren't super pumped that there was this random guy from another country calling them out for all of their stuff. 
They even tried to discredit, uh, discredit him later in the book uh, by trying to send him away to go to preach to his own people uh, from, where he come to, from where he came from. And they, they tried to uh, just send him away. And he kind of snapped back at him and said, hey, I'm not a preacher. I'm not anybody special. I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a guy doing what God told me to do. I think that the point that Amos was trying to make is that the people of Israel were being incredibly hypocritical. They were saying that they worshiped God, yet they weren't helping the poor. Uh, They were walking over people to get ahead in life. The leadership of the nation had built altars in different cities, uh, different locations, uh, because back in those times it was like they had a like one big central worship hub, and everybody was expected to go there and do their thing. And he's like, the leaders of the nation were like, no, we'll make it convenient for you, and we'll do this. And, and it just kind of watered things down a bit. They even uh, built golden calves to try to give people another, another way that they could worship. <clears throat> but God doesn't value hypocritical worship. A real relationship with God values the social justice and righteousness that we can clearly see in the scriptures. Even if it goes against those around you, or maybe even those in power. Amos is talking to the people of Israel, but I think we can uh, can see all of this and really put it to use in our own lives because it still rings incredibly true today. Those Those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, we're the people that have been set apart by God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Like Tyler said a few weeks ago, um, we are taking off our old worn clothes and putting on the clothes of Jesus. The old is gone, the the new is here, and we are a people who have been called into something great. Jesus even says this in John 14, 22. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. So Jesus, the man himself, says all these things that I've done, you will do greater things. We are an incredibly privileged people to have God on our side. To be able to go out into the world knowing uh, that Jesus is with us. It's a gift that God gives all who want it. And because of that privilege, because of that sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, we have a responsibility to help those in need, uh, to intercede on behalf of the marginalized, uh, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love God above all. Because with great power comes great responsibility. Like Peter Parker, Amos was profoundly aware of the responsibility that laid before him. Amos knew that God had given him this mission, this calling on his life to go and preach this message to the people of Israel. And maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe that's uh, something you're wrestling with. Maybe you know that God has been calling you to do something. Maybe you've felt the weight of responsibility uh, that God has put on your heart for something because that's really what a calling is. God giving us, through a relationship with him, a higher purpose and a, a burden of responsibility on our hearts uh, towards something in his name. So Amos was given a bold calling. I would challenge you to think about what's yours. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time this morning. 
we just ask is that as we uh, continue on with our day, that we can uh, reflect on our relationship with you, uh, reflect on the changes that you've made in our lives, and maybe you would help us to dig a little deeper and figure out what, maybe what you've called us to do, maybe what responsibilities uh, you've, you've called us to be burdened for. We thank you for the story of Amos and all that his, it can teach us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.